1: This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything. For the next three hours, we're coming at you. We got a packed show. A lot going on. A lot happened today. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. I hope if you're going into any crowded indoor places, you're at least considering bringing a mask with you and... I hope you're staying sane at a time when the world seems devoted to making us feel crazy. Chris Houseltz, our executive producer, running this thing out of South Carolina. Thea Harper, our associate producer, keeps this train on the tracks in Brooklyn. I come to you from Manhattan. Great show tonight. Bob Seska will be with us very shortly. Also, Dr. Tracy Pearson will be here to talk about the new regime for the Democrats in the House. I'm totally out of breath. I was moving furniture literally like five minutes ago because we're still broadcasting from home. Hopefully not forever. Uh, So we have a lot to get to tonight, and I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to begin by talking about Christine McVie and other good things that make life better. I don't know if you noticed, it was a good day today. A lot of good news today out there. Uh, It's been a big week so far for LGBTQ Americans. First, the marriage bill. Very exciting. The House is going to take up the Senate-passed version of the law that will protect same-sex marriage rights, and interracial marriage rights. This is the one that Mitch McConnell voted against, even though he's in an interracial marriage, even though Donald Trump can't stop applying racist nicknames to Mitch McConnell's wife, who was in his cabinet, but Donald Trump's a racist douchebag, so that's what's going to happen. But this now, it's going to pass. It's amazing. Clarence Thomas more or less dared Congress to do something to protect taxpaying lesbian and gay Married couples, and by God, Congress did it. 13 Republican senators came over and helped, and uh, congratulations, to Chuck Schumer. You know how significant this is? That, like, we saw Pat Leahy and Patty Murray both vote to protect marriage equality last night. Remember, 26 years ago, under the Defense of Marriage Act, they both voted to define marriages between one man and one woman. In fact, we talk a lot about Bill Clinton and DOMA. And it's got a very ugly history. The argument can be made that Bill Clinton, by doing that, got himself reelected and kept Bob Dole from becoming president, but it still doesn't look good in history. 32 out of 47 Democrats in the Senate in 1996 voted to support the Defense of Marriage Act. 32 out of 47. This week, 49 out of 50 voted for the Respective Marriage Act. And the only one who didn't vote for it was Raphael Warnock because he, he's busy this week. I mean, four Democrats have been in the Senate long enough to vote both times. Dianne Feinstein and Ron Wyden both times voted in defense of same-sex marriage. So that, that's really good. But it, even better, a story that's not getting as much news is the FDA is going to change their blood donation policies. Almost 40 years after the gay population was so unfairly maligned by the AIDS crisis and the bisexual male population as well. Now, if gay or bi men are in monogamous relationships, the FDA will let them donate blood for the last seven years. If you were gay or bi as a man, you had to be sexually abstinent before you could donate blood. And again, before 2015, gay and bisexual men were completely barred from doing it. But the FDA had a study earlier this year that examine the efficacy of using an individualized risk assessment before allowing a blood donation, which is what Canada does, and it works just fine. This is a real victory for advocates who've long pushed for the change. Again, it only affects gay and bisexual men who are sexually active who uh, would like to give blood, but still, it's progress and it's good. And of course, the real progress today... We saw it. Hakeem Jeffries became the first black leader of a party in Congress today when he was elected by his colleagues to serve as the minority leader in the House. It's pretty amazing. No drama. I mean, no drama. Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer are making way for a new generation. And the trio of Hakeem Jeffries, Catherine Clark and Pete Aguilar, were completely unopposed. They easily secured their roles as the top three Democrats in the House in the votes this morning. Here's Senator Chuck Schumer commenting on the ascension of Hakeem Jeffries to House Democratic leadership. Hakeem Jeffries' elevation as House Democratic leader is a turning point in the history of the United States Congress. Never before has an African-American leader or any leader of color held the top position for either party in either chamber. With yesterday's vote on respect for marriage And today's vote for House Democratic leader, our representative
2: democracy, continues to march forward towards its promise of equality and full representation for all Americans. It's so
1: exciting. Since 1965, there's only been nine African-American elected members of Congress from the Republican Party at all. Zero have chaired a committee. One chaired a subcommittee. One's in party leadership. But that's in the last... 55 years for the GOP. Here's uh, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Leader Jeffries, taking a few moments to rub salt of party unity into Kevin McCarthy's open wounds of GOP disarray. The House Democratic Caucus remains unified and focused in our efforts to fight for lower costs, for better paying jobs, for safer communities, to put people over politics. Those are our values that will drive us forward.
3: Republicans are going to have to work out whatever mess and chaos is going on on the other side of the aisle. That's not for us to get involved in at this point in time.
1: Republicans are also going to have to work out how they're going to smear Hakeem Jeffries. It's not going to be easy. I wonder how. Expect them to start trying very, very soon. (laughs) It's going to be beautiful. And then there'll be Kevin McCarthy flailing about, lying for Donald Trump and trying to please everybody, which means nobody in his party will be respecting him. One more bit of good news, a few more bits. Raphael Warnock. You know, I admire the senator. I admire that he's tried to be above the fray. When Herschel goes low, he goes high. He hasn't talked about how Herschel paid for these two women to get abortions. He hasn't talked about all these children that Herschel never told anyone about, that Herschel pulled a gun on his ex-wife's head. Well, no more. Reverend Warnock has taken off the gloves. He tweeted last night, Herschel Walker lies about the basic facts of his life. And he listed Herschel's lies. He was a policeman. He was an FBI agent. He was a University of Georgia graduate. Oh my God, it's going to be a really interesting week until this runoff happens. Also, the European Union is now threatening Elon Musk with a full Twitter ban in all of Europe if he goes ahead and lets all the liars and the racists and the anti-Semites back onto Twitter. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm sure Elon's sick, but 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 the racists and anti-Semites have $8, and I need them all to give me $8. So um, with all that in mind, I wanted to have some happy news because today was a sad one. Today's the day that we've learned that we've lost Fleetwood Mac's singer, songwriter, and keyboardist, Christine McVie, who wrote some of the band's most memorable songs. She died in the hospital today following a short illness. She was 79 years old. I don't usually use the top of the show for obituaries, especially for artists. But you know, if this woman had been a solo artist, I'm convinced that everybody, everybody would have known her name. I mean, she joined the band in 1970. She released three very good solo albums. If you listen to Fleetwood Mac's greatest hits album from 1988, eight of the songs, eight of the songs were written by Christine. She was trained as a classical pianist as a kid until like 15 years old. And then one day her brother came home with a Fats Domino songbook and she got heavily into rock and roll. She recorded her solo album, Christine Perfect, because that's her real name. (laughs) Her actual real name is Christine Perfect. We're going to play one of her tunes from her early career later on tonight. And then, of course... She went on to join uh, the band Chicken Shack and had a hit with the song I'd Rather Go Blind, which we'll play tonight as well. She was on lead vocals there. She won a Melody Maker Award for Best Female Vocalist in 1969 and 1970. She was very well known in the UK before she married the bass player of another band. Uh, She married John McVie of Fleetwood Mac, and they had her play piano as a session musician for Fleetwood Mac when it was still the Peter Green Band for the album Mr. Wonderful. And she did backup vocals, played piano, but she joined the band full-time in 1970 after marrying John. And in 74, she agreed to move with the rest of Fleetwood Mac to the U.S. And that, of course, changed the band and changed music. Because within a year, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined it, and suddenly it was a whole new group. Um, In 1965, they released the album Fleetwood Mac, which had the songs Over My Head and Say You Love Me. And then she began um, an affair with the band's lighting director. When You know that song, You Make Loving Fun? Big, big top ten hit on the Rumors album. That wasn't written for her husband. That was actually written for the band's lighting director on the road. She also wrote Don't Stop, which was their biggest hit, her biggest hit, number three. Uh, and of course, Rumors also brought us the song... Songbird, which she played as the encore of many, many Fleetwood Mac shows. If you've seen the full lineup of Fleetwood Mac, you've probably seen Christine McVie close one of those shows with Songbird. The rest is history. The McVies divorced, and then they put out the double album Tusk, and even though they were divorced, they stayed together and had many more hits. They got back together in the 80s to record the album Mirage in France, and that brought them back to the top of the charts again. That had the song Hold Me, which she had written, and that song was about her three-year relationship with Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson. Huge hit. And she took the greatest joys and the greatest sorrows of her love life and turned them into beautiful music. She then stopped. She left the band and said she was retiring from touring. And Stevie Nicks left, too. But Christine McVie stayed a member of the band, like Brian Wilson with the Beach Boys. She wrote songs for them. She recorded with them. But she wouldn't go on tour with them. They had their box set in 1992, 25 years, the chain. They had this album in 1995 called time. So she was still in the band, but she just wasn't part of the touring experience. And then in the mid nineties, John McVie and Mick Fleetwood and Lindsey Buckingham got together for a solo project of Lindsay's and they asked her to sing and play. She did it. She had so much fun. They got Stevie Nicks to join them. And that led to the dance, the album that was big back when Bill Clinton was in office. After that, you know, she got inducted into the hall of fame, Um, she got the Brit award for outstanding contribution to music. And then after almost 30 years with Fleetwood Mac, Christine McVie decided to leave and she lived in pretty much a retirement state of life for about 15 years. She went to see the band do their last UK performance on the say you will tour in 2003 in the UK. She wouldn't join them on stage. She put out another solo record in 2004. And then about nine years later, she came on stage with Fleetwood Mac at the O2 arena in London and then joined them on their on with the show tour in 2014. And she kept on doing it. And she played uh, with the original lineup once again. And then five years ago, she put an album with Lindsey Buckingham, just the two of them called Lindsey Buckingham, Christine McVie. It wasn't a huge hit, but it's really terrific. And it sounds like the lost Fleetwood Mac record. They did a 38 day tour together. She had a career that was just so much about pop hits, with a very understated, mellow voice. She didn't have a big, brassy hit the back of the rafter. She sang delicately. She sang gently and from the heart. And it's why she may have been the least flashy songwriter to ever have this many hits. She sang on the Beach Boys' 1979 album, L.A. She sang with Christopher Cross on the Never Stop Believing song. Um, and she, well, she, she was supposed to be recording a new solo album. And they announced about nine years ago, she was finally going to have one. They never released it. I think, though, what I'm most grateful for with Christine McVeigh, what I'm most grateful for with Fleetwood Mac is how much their music meant to Americans after 12 years of Reagan Bush trickle down. You know, people don't remember how awful it was when George H.W. Bush was president. Liberals weren't really crazy about Bill Clinton. But it was just such a feeling in this country 30 years ago of optimism. We forget Bill Clinton was elected 30 years ago this month. And it was a real low point. I mean, the economy was in recession. We'd had this stupid war to help reinstate the dictator of Kuwait. And the band Fleetwood Mac wasn't doing that well either. I mean, in the beginning of the 90s, they were like on a nostalgia bill with REO Speedwagon and Pat Benatar. Only McFleetwood and John McVie were left in the band from the rumors lineup. But when bill clinton was elected president he chose don't stop to be his overriding campaign message and the song got bigger and bigger and so big that when he was inaugurated into the white house as the 42nd president the group came out of retirement to perform that track and it brought them back on the road again and brought the album to dance which is just terrific that show was the first time the rumors era version of the band played together in over six years so i thank you christine mcvee for all the sublime vocals for your beautiful keyboard playing, which isn't talked about enough in these obituaries. Thank you for your incredible songwriting. Just, I mean, great, great pop music. And thank you for giving a kid like me uh, a lot of hope when the Bill Clinton campaign made Democrats and liberals think that maybe, just maybe, Reaganism wasn't going to be the way of America forever. 79 years old. God bless Christine McVie. Listen to some of her music. Listen to some of the solo stuff as well. (laughs) We were playing the video earlier for... uh, Love Will Show Us How, which is a terrible music video about Christine McVie being forced to do a terrible music video. And it's very tacky. It's all the worst of 90s comedy. But she's so graceful. She's so above it. And she sings this song that's largely forgotten, but could have been a hit for Fleetwood Mac in the 80s. Do yourself a favor and just play your stuff and appreciate the vocals, the songwriting, and all the joy that great artists can bring us. I'm John Fuglesang. This is XM Progress. I sent Chris Household a long list of music to play for tonight's playlist, and then we got the sad news about Christy McVie. It's going to be a very different playlist than we had planned on this evening. I'm so glad to welcome Bob Seska back to the show. He is the host of The Bob Seska Show, one of the best podcasts about music and politics you will ever hope to hear. Uh, maybe you came to Bob through the Stephanie Miller appearances. Maybe you came to Bob through his columns in Salon and The Daily Banter. We are thrilled we found a way to sucker him to join us every Wednesday night on the show. Mr. Seska, welcome back.
2: I'm so sad about Christy McVie. Uh, I I really haven't had a chance to fully digest. I've been so busy today. I haven't had a chance to sit down and fully digest it. If you get a chance, listen to Songbird on Rumors, which is one of her tracks. And try not to get choked up when you listen. What an incredible loss. Uh, What an amazing talent. Uh, So many wonderful songs. And that collaboration between her and Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and McFleetwood and her husband, John McFee. Uh So I say I'm a big fan of Fleetwood Mac, John, and I'm just now really starting to absorb this news. It's so, so tragic for me. You know, I grew up I was I was never
1: that big a fan. I mean, I always liked them, but. Like I never collected their albums as a as a young person because their songs were always on the radio. You know there's some artists yeah. that are so ubiquitous in the culture you're like I don't need to own that record it's always just go anywhere you'll hear Fleetwood Mac songs. Go to a bar, go to a mm-hmm. store, get in a taxi, you'll always hear their stuff. And so I I kind of I will admit I've always taken the band a bit for granted. I've always liked yeah. them. I've never disliked them. I love their 80s stuff. I love the stuff in the 90s. Silver Springs is a great song. But uh, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you today, I first got the news and I was like, oh, that's sad. I liked her. I remember her solo stuff. And as the day went on, Bob, I kept reading more about her and realizing, oh, I didn't know she wrote that. I didn't know she (laughs) wrote that. And I'd like look up, wait, what? She wrote this Fleetwood Mac song? Which which one is that? And I'd play it. I'm like, oh my God, I grew up hearing this song. So many Fleetwood Mm -hmm. Mac songs I'm now realizing because I never got to be a geek of the band. I just never knew the titles, but I can sing along with them all. And this woman's productivity is astonishing. She was allowed to take all the fifteen-year breaks from touring she wanted because she yeah. just—I mean, I mean, she
2: just pushed these hits out. The songwriting yeah. caliber is yeah. incredible. And how difficult that must have been. I mean, she had a fear of flying, which is one of the reasons why she didn't tour uh, quite often, That's and right. that really prevented her from doing everything that uh, the rest of the band was doing. So, in that sense, I wonder if she. Felt in some way an outsider, you know, where she couldn't join in. (laughs) But then again, you know, it was Fleetwood Mac and they were always (laughs) butting heads in some way. They were either having sex with each other or they were fighting with each other (laughs) or or doing both at the same time. So that was kind of the Fleetwood Mac legacy. Well, I mean, Stevie Mm -hmm. and
1: and Buckingham broke up and, and Christine and John broke up. And they yeah. still were able to get back together and tour again because you know right, right. it was it was just all about the music and that
2: 1990s reunion tour it was great oh, yeah they
1: were great yeah, yeah. they
2: sounded terrific yeah they didn't skip a beat if you got a chance again another thing to listen to and try not to choke up while you're listening to it is the dance which is the live album yeah, that accompanied really that good. particular tour yeah just a staggeringly amazing music one of a kind band and just because they did pop songs doesn't mean they're not. A serious band. I mean, musically speaking, there's so much integrity in Fleetwood Mac music. Yeah. Uh, you know, from Lindsey Buckingham on down, the the playing is complex. The harmonies are bar none some of the greatest in rock music. So yeah, what a a tragic, tragic loss. Bob, um, I wanna I wanna move
1: on uh, and and ask how your Thanksgiving was. I hope you had a nice one.
2: <laughs> yeah, just. About on average, it was nice. Yeah, had a good
1: um, time. Did you Did you have a problem with um, Nazis coming over to your Thanksgiving and you you just didn't know they were Nazis before uh, you let them into the house and <laughs> sat down with them and and talked about what a great time you had? Did, that happens to me yeah. all the time, Bob. Uh
2: huh. Yeah, I yeah. did a Twitter poll to see whether or not I should allow the Nazis... It's the most scientific way to find information.
1: I'm glad. Exactly right. Totally
2: not shoddy, totally not gamed by bots and trolls. And so, legitimately speaking, I said, you know, I just announced Vox Populi, Vox Dei. Here we are. Come on in, Nazis. Yeah, he's really emptying Blackgate prison now, isn't he? He's doing Bane from the end of The Dark Knight Rises.
1: He blew up Arkham Asylum, and they're letting them all back in now. (laughs) But but, but, but in in
2: fairness, Bob,
1: in fairness, there's a lot of anti-Semites and a lot of racists, and a lot of people willing to lie about a plague who have $8. And we are talking about a billionaire (laughs) with a cup in his hand, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: And what is that? What's the conversion rate between eight dollars U.S. and whatever Bitcoin means? I don't know, because I think I think a lot of that money is coming from Bitcoin accounts. And I have no blessed idea how any of that works. It's some sort of it's like monopoly money, right? Is that what that is? It's like fake Internet monopoly money. Yeah. Is that pretty close? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, congratulations. You can now do a commercial with Matt Damon to sell people nothing. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I it's just I really sound like a senior citizen when it comes to that. Uh, well, I really, really do. But uh you know Can I tell you can is, I tell you Oh go ahead, please. Yeah. Well uh, No, I was just best? gonna say it's it, it's Elon Musk's universe now on Twitter. And so we're yeah. all, you know, as long as we're there, it's it's his insane erratic rules. Yeah, that we have to he's deal like with, yeah. little
1: Billy mummy in the Twilight Zone. I'm going to turn you into a jack in the box because I can do that. It's yeah, hideous. Mm-hmm. But, Bob, I'm cultivating a new unhinged conspiracy theory every week. That's just, you know, how I'm staying sane these days. It's like crochet <laughs> for me. Last week, yeah. uh, my unhinged conspiracy theory was that Donald Trump who's not really running for president. There's no campaign manager. There's no communications Mm -hmm. director. It's just squeezing more nickels out of the rubes. But but last week, my theory was that Trump's only doing this to eventually get enough delegates that he can uh, agree to drop out in exchange for a pardon from President DeSantis. That was what was keeping me up all week last week. Yeah, This week. What's keeping me awake? Who staked Elon Musk $44 billion? And could a large chunk of that money come from foreign actors who have a vested interest in destabilizing American democracy by driving a stake yeah. through the heart of the public electronic square. I'm now like, there, there's no way this ends well for Elon. There's no way he's going to get $8 out of enough racists to make back $44 billion. He tried mm. to back out and the judge forced him in. Bob, I, I it's so inept. It's so poorly done. I've lost 21,000 followers since this happened. People are leaving the site. What other endgame could there be?
2: Wait, you lost 21,000 followers since he carried that oh sink God. into
1: the lobby. I've lost 21,000 followers. That's a people leaving the site. Damn it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you know what? First, you're in very good company because there was a Washington Post piece this week that analyzed uh, Democratic and Republican lawmakers That's and right. how many followers they lost or gained. Shocking that Democrats lost thousands hundreds of, of followers.
1: thousands, hundreds of Bernie Sanders, yeah.
2: Barack Obama, hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. Hakeem Jeffries and uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, but uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene gained hundreds of thousands of followers Jim Jordan gained hundreds of thousands of followers basically Republican leadership did quite well Ted Cruz and others gained all kinds of followers while Democrats are losing followers and I get the sense that well first of all it's entirely possible that Elon Musk just loves to shake up the ant farm to see all the ants freak out that's still kind of the occam's razor explanation for all of this but i don't buy it i think this is a deliberate move to drive away what he referred to as judgy hall monitors which i think include obviously traditional journalists reporters publications that they write for as well as all of us who rely on those institutions for valid information Okay, And so I think the mission, because he's said it, may be just that to clear away all of the things that he doesn't like, all the people that he doesn't like or that his bro libertarian sort of neo fascist people love. Right. I get that. Yeah. But I mean, uh, on the surface,
1: that certainly seems what he's doing on the surface. But 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 that's spending forty four billion of borrowed money to just wag your dick around. I mean, like like I I don't really see a methodology behind it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and where this is going is to clear the way for all of these people to take over this massive communications platform. And that's the key. If you drive away all the normals. Whatever is left basically has control over the information dissemination on Twitter and that information calling even calling it information is a stretch. We're talking about making Twitter a a platform for disinformation Mm -hmm. to make that the conveyance for all of that and just in time for the 2024 presidential campaign, which, by the way, is underway and coincidentally got underway right around day one of Elon Musk's tin pot dictatorship yeah. uh, at Twitter. Yeah. So these things, I mean, maybe that timing was a little bit coincidental, but this is the the goal of driving normals off of Twitter, which is happening in droves, as we've seen with the numbers. That is, I think, in concurrence with the idea of getting a different kind of message out on Twitter for 2023 and 2024.
1: I, I yeah. get it. I'm following. But who does getting the normals off of Twitter benefit? How does turning Twitter into truth social and to yet another echo chamber with fewer people on it? How yeah. does that help bratty McApartheid face get his forty four <laughs> billion? He owes.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good question. I think one person you can look at is, uh, you know, the guy who has a one point nine billion dollar stake in this elon musk investment and that is uh prince Awaleed of saudi arabia Mm, that's what i'm talking about got a lot of money pumped into and what what did we hear recently john in the past couple of weeks donald trump doing another one of his licensing deals for a resort property in uh oh god i oman i think it is yeah yeah and so, yeah. And so Donald Trump's getting a lot of money from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has, has invested a ton of money into Jared Kushner. And mm-hmm. here we see it around the same time Donald Trump announces his next campaign for president. Plus, Elon Musk has got this Saudi money that he's uh, using in the entire pool, which also includes, you know, a, a bank investments and Elon Musk's own money. And then you start to hear about Elon Musk's political political leanings and what he wants to do with legitimate journalism and replace right. that with citizen journalism, which to me, when I hear the, the the title citizen journalism, I think, oh, yeah, yeah. Like citizen surgeons. Yeah, or that's what we need is more airline citizen airline
1: pilots. pilots. Exactly right. Yeah. We need that kind of democracy, don't we? Right, right. But, but, yeah. but again, I, I, I get it. But how does he make money off of this?
2: It just seems like making a smaller tent only hurts his bottom line. Yeah, and that's what's so confusing about it, because everything he's doing is driving away legitimate advertisers. I think he was able to claw back Tim Cook this afternoon and get Tim Cook to keep Twitter on its app store, on the Apple app store. But that, he didn't say anything about keeping Apple as a advertising partner, because Apple was spending, I think, $50 million a quarter on advertising on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And if that goes away, that's going to damage Elon Musk. But nothing that Musk is doing right now is attracting any evidence. In fact, it's driving advertisers away, driving people to boycott those advertisers, to block them when they see them come up uh, in their feed. And so it doesn't make any sense. It's like Elon Musk is just tripping over his shoelaces into a pile of rakes and then falling backwards into a propeller. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And that's what's so confounding. And that's what's so difficult about seeing through that noise to what, Maybe really going on.
1: I mean, this could just be a benevolent God showing us again that putting our faith in billionaires <laughs> uh, might not be the best way to run a society, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, as much as I enjoy watching this, you know, petulant knob flail about and make a damn <laughs> fool of himself, uh, I, I just. I don't know. I, I, I and hey, at least someone's looking out for the racists and the and the anti Semites, right? At least finally they're getting a yeah. place at the table. Oh and I, I mentioned racists and anti Semites because Bob, here's my little joke. Uh, you know, you know, Kanye uh, brought Milo Yiannopoulos with him and Nick Fuentes to the <laughs> yes. race to the <laughs> Nazi Thanksgiving there. So, the, so the joke is, uh, uh, what what if a uh, 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 an anti a white suprema an anti Semite, a white supremacist, and uh, a sex offender uh, head into Mar a Lago. And then Trump says, oh, I'm all alone here. Kanye, bring friends. Um, You know, (laughs) I'm glad the media is making such a thing out of the story, because I think every Republican should have to come down with an opinion on not Nick Fuentes on Donald Trump associating with Nick Fuentes. I'm so sick of seeing these Republicans condemning Fuentes, but not condemning comb over Caligula for welcoming in on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I want no one condemning. And by the way, no one condemning Milo, who literally, literally calls for children to be sleeping with men. Literally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No one had a peep about that.
2: Right. Right. And and I think I think what we get to is a stage where we start to think, well, you know, that's just baseline. That's baseline Milo. That's baseline Trump. So we're not even going to worry about that. I mean, Trump could get get onto truth social or whatever it's called and just start blurting the N-word. And I think a lot of people will go, ah, it's Trump being Trump. Boys will be boys. Uh, Milo will be Milo. Nick Fuentes will be Nick Fuentes. Oh, that's just what they do. And yeah. we can't take that for granted, especially someone like Nick Fuentes. This is a good example of something that I've been talking about for quite some time now, about how uh, a lot of times, especially in the social media age, uh, evil thrives in darkness. Here's a great example. Nick Fuentes. No one's no one on the left has been talking about Nick Fuentes. And and rightfully so. I think it, he seems like a performance artist. He seems like he's doing a bit from like he you know what he seems like he seems like the sort of evangelical villain from a 1990s disaster movie. <laughs> like he would be the guy who would be have a megaphone standing on the hood of a van yelling at the protagonist about how they're sinning against God or whatever. And and the thing with Nick Fuentes is Nick Fuentes rose to this status without liberals paying a goddamn bit of attention to him. And so the the lesson there is if we choose to ignore these people, they will still thrive. Not Thank paying you. attention to them will not make them go away. Putting your Plugging your ears and saying, la, 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 not listening, will not make them disappear. In fact, most of the time, they will gain power. And here's just another example. Sorry about the tangent. But if suddenly the Republicans decided to stop paying attention to Hunter Biden, Hillary Clinton, and Black Lives Matter, would that be good news or bad news for Democrats? I think that would be wonderful news for Democrats. But- You know, that's just me. So uh, you're right. You know, you flip that over. How would they raise funds? Yeah. 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 If we stopped paying attention to some of the villains on the Republican side. Would that be good news or bad news, yeah, for, but, Republicans? But, 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 ratings, news for Republicans? I think in a ratings
1: in a ratings based news media culture, that's never going to mm-hmm. happen. And the fact mm-hmm. is, a lot of really nice people were able to live comfortably, not knowing who what we call the fuck. a <laughs> Nick Fuentes was now they yeah. do know. And I can guarantee the media is going to make this guy. If you haven't heard of Nick Fuentes by now, our media will make him so much more famous by Christmas because the media needs a villain. So yeah. while I still have you, let, let me just twist it around, and ask you one last thing, Bob, because I'm seeing a lot of uh, liberal, smart people really excited about Jack Smith, um, mm-hmm. really thinking this is it. Like, finally, finally, now, now, forget those other times, Trump, over the last six years. Now you're going to pay. Um, yeah, yeah, I <laughs> Bob, know. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, do I want to get my heart broken again? I mean, what, what's your take on it?
2: I I absolutely sympathize with what you're saying, John. Um, I don't necessarily agree. I, I think in the long run, I think this is a good thing as far as handing down accountability for Donald Trump. But it's it's one of those things where, again, we didn't know anything about this document situation until very, very recently. We didn't know that there was a grand jury investigating Donald Trump's involvement in January 6th until recently. So it mm-hmm. it hasn't ultimately been that long. And we've been surprised by some of these de- developments, too. And I think with Jack Smith, what that indicates is an increased Uh, likelihood that Donald Trump will be indicted, not not less likely, because what Merrick Garland is trying desperately to do is to not appear partisan in this. He's trying so hard to make this as on the level as possible, while at the same time blazing a new trail, establishing a tradition, establishing rules and parameters for how to exactly investigate an ex-president of the opposite party. And he's doing pretty good. I think he's doing a good job. Bob, we got to go in our final moments.
1: Uh, you just had a really hip guest on The Bob Seska Show. Tell us who. <laughs> really quick. Yeah,
2: Amanda Wiss, the great Amanda Wiss. She was uh, she was uh, famous for uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, Better Off Dead. She was uh, the first person Freddy Krueger ever killed in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And uh, Silverado, uh, she was Woody's awesome. girlfriend on Cheers. And a wonderful, wonderful actress and wonderful person. We had a great time talking about what it's like to be a woman in Hollywood, especially after age 30 and so on. Just a great I can't interview.
1: wait to hear this one. I can't wait. Thank you, Bob John. Seska. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week. Thank you for all you do. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is Sirius XM Progress. We're at eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Tracy Pearson back to the love fest. She is, of course, a legal analyst and consultant who you've seen all over on TV and radio and podcasts. She's been quoted by the media and Forbes and Fast Company, The New York Post. You've seen her on everything from Cheddar News to News Nation to the Dr. Phil show. Dr. Pearson, welcome back.
4: Gosh, you set up such expectations, and I just, I feel pressure. I feel <laughs> tremendous pressure.
1: Well, I'm your <laughs> hype man. Just think, just call me Flave. That's what I'm here to do.
4: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
1: Uh, it's so good to have you here. I hope you and your family had a lovely Thanksgiving.
4: I did. We did. I hope you did as well. We binged West Wing. If nice. Bradley Whitford is listening right now, I love you. I okay. love Josh Lyman. I'm just going to say that.
1: How far did you make it? Did you make it all the way up to Jimmy Smith's debating Alan Alda?
4: Oh, I made it up to, to Simon Donovan, who I loved. I love Mark Harmon. If you're listening as well, I love you, too. Um, but uh, I I listened up to that or watched up to that. And then what happened was uh, I had other things to do and then uh, managed <laughs> to, to to lose track of that. I, I can't watch Simon die. I just can't. Mm-hmm. If you have it, I'm sorry for the spoilers, guys. I mean, you know, it's old, but um, I just can't. <laughs> well,
1: Richard Schiff and uh, Allison Janney have both done our, our show and a lot, of, a lot of West Wing actors as well uh, I'm glad you had a good time and I like watching the West Wing because I love seeing Alan Alda um, as Arnold Vilsack as, as, the, as the evolved, compassionate uh, informed Republican because I'm a fan of sci-fi um, I, I, I want to ask you about uh, your thoughts on the newly elected Democratic leadership it's been very exciting watching this take form to see Kevin McCarthy uh, with our friends on the GOP Kind of just struggling to get enough people to like him enough to give him the job he seem, seems to believe belongs to him, and then the Democrats are in array, uh, unanimous votes. It seemed like it was prepared well in advance. The it really seems to be going very well, and almost as if almost as if Pelosi and Jeffries have been planning this transition for quite some time.
4: My recollection is that. Nancy Pelosi sort of bargained when she uh, took over the speakership that uh, she would be be there two years and then she would step aside. And so I believe that there was uh, a plan in place and that they were they were working to facilitate that plan. Nobody can whip a vote like Nancy Pelosi. And it was a lack. Last act of, of kindness, if you will, um, to do that for Hakeem Jeffries. I have sort of mixed feelings about all of it because I I I love Nancy Pelosi. I think she's extraordinary. Um, I can think of a lot of reasons for why she would she would want to be able to step aside a bit and and allow new leadership to take over. Of course, um, but I, I think that that it is a time where you need experience and you need uh, sort of a depth, of bench. To be able to uh, deal with what's coming our way, which is going to provide us with hours of material.
1: Oh yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm already. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I'm. I, I hate to tell you how much popcorn I've already bought to watch Kevin McCarthy. I mean, the only thing worse than him not becoming speaker, after all these years of scheming, the only thing worse would be him becoming speaker and his life becoming a living hell of accomplishing nothing and being hated by every side of his own caucus.
4: Yes absolutely and all the former speakers uh former republican speakers are sitting there laughing they probably bought the the other half of the popcorn that was on the shelves
1: well if i may fuck paul ryan he doesn't deserve to laugh at anything um so so (laughs) here's the big thing i'm going to be watching for with hakeem jeffries because i do like representative jeffries a lot i've interviewed him before Uh, i thought he was amazing as a as an impeachment um prosecutor he's as far as i know the only member of congress to quote biggie smalls in the well of the House. Um, But uh, he's got a little bit of a problem, as Pelosi did, with the progressive wing of the party. Last year, he was in an interview with The New York Times and he said, the extreme left is obsessed with talking trash about mainstream Democrats on Twitter. He launched a PAC last year. He helped launch with other Democrats to help House incumbents to fend off more progressive primary insurgents. Um, Pramir Jayapal is, of course, the chair of the Progressive Caucus. She said she had a really good conversation with him. She's encouraging in the sit-down with some of the key members in the left part of the caucus. And apparently he's already met with three quarters of the squad. Is this the sort of thing that we should keep an eye open for? One of the things I admired most about Pelosi was I think she and AOC worked beautifully together. I think they coordinated every time they disagreed in public. And I think they coordinated every time they agreed in public to keep the caucus together, to keep the resistance vote together. It seems like he's going to have the same challenge.
4: Nancy Pelosi is a master politician, and she knows what she's doing. I, I agree with you on that. I do think that we are going to see um, that public disagreement between the the progressive caucus and leadership. the The members of leadership, the new members of leadership, are all members of the progressive caucus, but um, they they are rather moderate. Demi- they're, they're, they're moderate in comparison to the progressives on in that caucus. Um, yeah. And there have been issues in the past, but I, I they seem to to have have garnered that vote. And again, I, as I said, I think Nancy Pelosi helped whip that together. I think that uh, it also, again, was a product of that agreement that, that they struck early on. Um, but this the 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 minority leader okay, or the speaker, whichever, you know, whatever position they're occupying at the time um, mm-hmm. is a lightning rod. That's what they are, and so we are going to see some some sparks. Uh, there are there is a differing view um, between them on many issues. Although uh, yes. I think Representative Jeffries is he hasn't he doesn't object overtly to Medicare for all, um, and and other such things that that progressives support. But he he is going to be a lightning rod. But I think that they understand that when the other side's got the gavel. They have to hold it together in order to beat back what's coming their way.
1: Yeah. Is there a danger in, in these feelings that, oh, we have to have something new? I know you have rather complex feelings about the, you know, the concept that new is necessary. It does seem like in this case, they're, they're going to have two years to find out how this new machine works. But what, what are your thoughts about this desire to have a newer, younger leadership the median age has gone now it's down down to 51 of the top three democrats median age 51 before i believe it was somewhere in the 130s so what do you
4: think i am sensitive to this you know i'm hiking up the ladder and and of of age and i think that i this was the first time where i sort of paused and thought are we arguing ageism is that what we're arguing when we ask for that and, and we need to really be careful about that. And I encourage folks to be thinking critically about that. Why do you want new? Is it that it, it isn't good enough? It isn't doing what you want it to do. It isn't competent enough. Or is it just that you want new and you like the newer voices and the fresher voices and you like their personalities and their Twitter accounts and their Instagram accounts and their TikToks? Is that what you're into? Because I think yeah. that we really need to be careful because with Those people, those people who are are considered the old guard comes an incredible amount of institutional knowledge and experience, which you need when you're in a dogfight.
1: I mean, I've always said and this is one of my favorite subjects, ageism, because I think it's the one ism that is acceptable to both liberals and conservatives. I mean. Come on. We've heard it from the left all over John McCain, who, for all of his many flaws, had more energy than most 40 year olds. I know liberals were vicious to Bob Dole. Um, And of course, you know, I'm old enough to remember Johnny Carson making fun of Ronald Reagan being elderly and out of it all the time. I mean, mocking Reagan's decline was common comedy fodder for many, many years. In this case, however, it does seem like it it wasn't really it it came from within. I mean, Clyburn and Hoyer and Pelosi all made this choice together and none of them fought to keep their seats. It, It does really seem like they're hitting a reload now.
4: They are. And and, and again, I think that Nancy Pelosi is a woman of her word and and agreed to sit there if she could hang on. I think she probably would have. But her husband, having been attacked, I think may have figured into some of her decision making as well. You know, I I also if if we had held the House in a majority, I think that would have had a, a major impact. Um, but this was the time—the time to break and step aside. I, I think that when it comes to the issue of ageism, it's fascinating to me too. Because when you think about Joe Biden and and Barack Obama, um, he, Joe was the um, the the star of those memes in yes. all of those memes that traveled around the internet. And then all of a sudden, he announces to to run and and all of a sudden it's it's like ah no no don't do it we don't want you and and then he gets elected everybody's like yeah and then he's now the president and and it's a problem you know I always too old i just can't take it it's it, it really bothers me so i urge people to think critically about really what they're they're commenting on is it his age is it something else
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's his age. But at the same time, as I point out, you know, in 2024, if Joe Biden's the nominee, He'll be 82, but he'll be running against 92-year-old Herbert Hoover Economics. So he's still going to be the young guy in the race, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, though, what are your thoughts about what the house is about to look like? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to come up and take the gavel away from Kevin McCarthy. I'm sure right now he is groveling as hard as he can to as many people who hate him as he has to 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 eke this out. Um, I mean, is it really going to be popcorn season? I think... It it just seems it just seems so doomed to failure. Chris, do we have that clip I sent you earlier? I just want to play a, a quick one. This was Kevin McCarthy today or yesterday, rather. I'm sorry, outside the White House where he's trying to defend Donald Trump. Okay, here's Kevin McCarthy. Now, just before you hear this, just know Donald Trump has never condemned Nick Fuentes once. Give a listen. What about the the railroad? You have
5: yet
2: to condemn the former president. No, I don't think think anybody should be spending any time with Nick Fuentes. He has no place in this Republican Party. I think President Trump came out four times and what? condemned him and didn't no. know who he was. Well, he four? Was, he didn't
3: know who he was. He didn't condemn him or his ideology.
2: Well, I condemn his ideology. It has no place in society.
4: What is your all, and, all, and, all. and what about the former president? be that, you know. calling that
2: and The president out? didn't know who he was. And he, the he, president... He West. He, he, he you know Conde what? We're, we're, West. He's been... So he knew who Conde West is. he didn't know who Flint is. Yes, sir.
1: So are you following that? He, he didn't know who Nick Fuentes was, and yet he was allowed to sit at a table with the president of the United States because they don't vet people there. And he's condemned him four times, except he hasn't. Are, are, are you following part of this job? It seems to be you've got to be a good bullshitter, Dr. Tracy. I, I, this guy's not good at the job.
4: No, he's not. He's not at all. And he's not good at the quick getaway either, man. He stayed stayed in it. I, I think that um, he has to get better handlers. Because uh, mm. Lord knows that that Donald Trump now has to have supervision. According to his campaign, he's not allowed to do anything without having somebody there. Um, and same thing goes for Herschel Walker. I hear um, <laughs> that he has to he has to be kept so many feet away from the press now, leading up to the to the final days of that election. Um, so I think that that he is not good at it, and and he is pandering to people like, as I understand it, behind the scenes to like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know. Mm-hmm. And I learned it's it's not flagrant but fragrant tonight fragrant disregard i i didn't know that, that <sighs> did she sense say that was part of it she did she did. say
1: fragrant oh that's beautiful yes. I, yes I gotta say the i find the gazpacho believes to be very fragrant this time of year
4: <laughs> Whoa. yes absolutely oh. yeah I, I, it's gonna I, be fun language wise i think i think education in this country should be paramount as part of the platform uh, for the democratic party because we're gonna have to teach people how to use words properly I mean, we really are going to go downhill.
1: But, you know, it comes back to the whole Biden issue. Like, I, I, I say it all the time. Joe Biden's old, right? He's he's old. He probably needs a nap during the day. He's an 80-year-old guy with a stutter. But he will sit down and take any question in a one-on-one interview. He can do it. He he can think on his feet well enough. I mean, what is this culture of babysitters with with Trump and now Herschel Walker, who, yeah, they're trying to just restrict him as much as they can until the sixth is over. I mean, you'd think that conservative voters would realize that grown men who need this much supervision might not be the best leaders we need right now.
4: Exactly. If you need supervision, should you be in charge? I don't think so. And and it is it is disturbing. I, you know, when we look at these folks who are who have been in in politics for many years, um, many, many years. It is uh, to me. um a, they are amazing speakers. And even with, I don't care about his stutter. I mean, we mentioned it, he mentions it. He, you yeah. know, it's something that he's proud of overcoming. Um, also, you know, for the sake of, of conflict of interest, I graduated from the same law school he did, but I, he's just an extraordinary speaker and he's not afraid, he's, and you know why? Because he's smart. The guy is yeah. smart and he yeah. absolutely knows the issues. He understands what is at stake. He's been doing this a long time. And he, he's had so many years dealing with the press. He understands the importance of the press and, and the importance of the press for, for not only politics, but for the American people and for the country. And he respects them. And you have to answer their questions. You don't treat them like garbage. You don't keep them 20 feet away from you. I worked, I worked for the uh, Clinton Gore 96 campaign and I, I worked on the advance staff and I was uh, working with the press folks. And so I got to, to, to herd them around. They were a lot of fun uh and 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 you have to respect them because you need them
1: so here's my next question for you doctor we're having this conversation a few hours away from the beginning of the month of december happy end of november everybody that means that the democrats in the house will have exactly 31 days to do something with donald trump's tax returns what do you make of this news is it going to be a case of too little too late
4: I don't think so. My understanding is that the Democrats are meeting this evening uh, on that committee um, that that got the tax returns. um, And uh, the the, the representative that's in charge of it is is following the rules, following the law, and uh, they are reviewing it. And they are gonna decide how to to deal with what they learn. Um, I have thought for the longest time, like if they can pull it off, I I would package up everything and i would send it over to the senate to be further processed that's how i would handle it if I if, I if i were in charge but i'm yeah. not in charge if you're listening in washington please do that so that this stuff can continue because obviously it's going to be shut down when they get um, into into the next session but i i do think that that they could move quickly they've they figured out especially for the select committee how to had to break up into subgroups and and are working feverishly and i think that they they need to the the biggest issue with those tax returns is who does he owe money to
1: exactly exactly who is he who, who who has the compromise i mean who is paying him and obviously i think the other issue is how much could they ever actually say i mean money laundering being what it is a lot of it's kept off the books but this brings me to my next question merrick garland uh 3d chess playing genius or hiding under his desk
4: 3d plus chain play, playing genius he knows what he's doing he he tends to take a conservative view and that's because he was a just a judge um, and his he knows what he needs to do in order to maintain whatever the the ultimate result is um, for the department so if it's a conviction he knows what he needs to do to maintain that his job was to um, to to make decisions about overruling convictions. So right. he knows what needs to happen. And I think that um, he, he, they wanted that that information from the January 6th committee earlier on and the January 6th committee refused to give it over. They're requesting it again. And, and it's because that investigation is coming to a conclusion and they're gonna pass that stuff on over and it's gonna be made a part of their files and mm-hmm. it's gonna be reviewed. I think that Jack Smith is a is a good choice although I, I I do share some of the concerns about you know do I have to have my heart broken again um because <laughs> the the idea that I... that he's going to save us but and and when I look at how long it takes to prosecute war criminals it takes forever yes, so it does. It, He's used to the slog, but he didn't allow a delay and he's right on top of it. And I expect that we're going to see some action because this is one individual who is dedicated to just this.
1: Yes. I mean, look, I I know a lot of people who had their heart broken by a guy just like Jack Smith named Mueller once upon a time. Um, I'm in the really unpopular camp where I don't care. I I don't think Trump's ever going to be president again. And so um, whatever happens to him with law enforcement is fine as long as he's not appointing judges. That's that's my really unpopular take here. I just I don't think after January 6th, there's a way he could ever be reelected. And so uh, my whole focus is on Ron DeSantis, right? Like, let Trump shuffle the shit around. I think Trump has a lot of value now for Democrats because they can tie the GOP to him while the GOP is trying to move him out the door. Maybe I'm being very naive, uh, but I, I kind of feel just like whether he winds up in jail or not. That fight's done. Now it's about Trumpism in this party. And and are we going to be focused so much on the figurehead that we're going to lose sight of what the actual army Trump built is doing?
4: I think that there is an important act of accountability that needs to happen, whatever that is. Just because we don't want to set a precedent that this is okay, because remember, they're using other things to try to set a precedent that that certain things are okay. Um, I think that desantis very well could be caught up in some of this stuff for all we know who knows Hmm. um he's got his own problems um and uh, that are going to be coming down the line is my understanding and he is uh equally as as problematic they both are they're just different flavors of the same problem thank Um, you and (laughs) you know one's one stronger (laughs) <laughs> One's a little weaker, and um, and 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 I reversed that diplomatically. Um, but I I think that that it is important to have accountability when people do things that are wrong, and yes. it is something that we clamor for. We clamor for it in our workplaces. We clamor for it um, in our communities. And gosh darn it, the former president of the United States, who is now a private citizen, ought to be held accountable for his behavior, because otherwise he's sitting in his ritzy little. A club there where our our documents were found all over the place, shoved in places. And I I want him held accountable for that because there are lesser people that have been held accountable for things similar.
1: No, you're right. You're right. And I want him held accountable, too. I just I don't I'm not afraid of him becoming president again. That's 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 all I'm saying. Go ahead and hold him accountable <laughs> all day long. Scare the hell out of people. I, I think we should. I If he's not held accountable, January 6th was just a dress rehearsal. It was just the beer hall putsch wait, waiting for. You know, Kristallnacht to happen and I'm a big fan of it I just kind of feel like we have to pay a lot of attention to what the GOP is doing next because Trump is the past for these people let me ask you one more thing doctor before I let you back to your evening how's your Twitter game going it's still standing it hasn't actually caught on fire yet Um, all my guests I'm asking them to try to analyze what the hell this man is thinking because I've never really witnessed a public meltdown like this
4: I feel I, I haven't spent a lot, a whole lot of time on Twitter recently. I mean, I'm on there. I, you know, I like everything that you, you post, but I post some things myself occasionally. I used to be more, more prolific with it because it feels a little bit like the last day of college and we're moving out of the dorms. <laughs> like, all the people that I love aren't there really. And, and I'm getting all these ads for, for weird stuff and I, I don't like it um you know it, it used to be companies that I didn't like now it's just like weird individuals that are promoting these these social beliefs that I don't agree with so it's uncomfortable being there I've tried some other some other services I'm on uh, Mastodon and I think that uh, I, I, what is going on and why I mean you know Elon just doesn't know what he's doing he's, he's a good master of of puffery and yes. and that's it. That's all he is. He's, he's a blowhard. And and, and and he talks a whole talk, but he can't back it up. He's really, you know, he didn't create Tesla. Other people exactly. created Tesla. And so but, he buys stuff and then he wrecks it. That's what he does.
1: <laughs> but but I mean, is is he just on Coke? Like, like w- when I see him saying we're going to have this content moderation board that'll vet every decision before we let anybody back on. And then three days later, you know what? No, here's a poll. Where, where, where have you got? Let's let Trump back on. Like he'll mean- he'll come out with these great, grandiose pronouncements and then he has no impulse control and he'll flip on it two days later. I mean, we just found out this is the guy who kept saying Twitter has always has to be apolitical. Now he's saying vote Republican, vote DeSantis. I mean, and, and now we found out they're no longer going to monitor people who lie about COVID-19 anymore. I, I, I just I don't see how long term this helps Elon get his eight dollars ahead per month from people to pay off his debt. I, I I don't understand the model at play here.
4: Well, he doesn't have a model. He didn't do a, an organizational change plan. He didn't do anything the way he should have done it, I, which I detailed in, in an open letter to him um, on my Substack. But he is somebody who needs money. And so the reason why you're seeing all these people getting let back on and you tie it to the fact that you're also seeing them put out ads Uh, Mm. They're they're paying to promote themselves and he needs cash coming in. He fired a whole bunch of people. He he a whole bunch of people quit on him uh, and because of his flouting of the uh, labor laws. And I think that he is um, in deep, deep trouble. And now it looks like there may be a a backtracking and uh, the government may want to be looking into that sale. Um, hmm. And I don't know. I, I have to look at it more closely. I don't know what the with the ramifications of that are. I mean, you, you know, are you going to reverse the transaction? Is it is it like a back? <laughs> I, I don't know who owns Twitter at that point, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Who will wind up owning this thing in the fire sale a year from now when you see it on the discount rack next to MySpace and Friendster? I mean, <laughs> the the EU is now threatening him with a full ban of Twitter of the entire app in all of Europe unless he obeys his own rules on content moderation, because um, th- they've they've had these rules in place for a while. And their commissioner in charge of implementing digital rules told Musk that you have to adhere to, you know, your own checklist of rules don't have this arbitrary approach to reinstating banned users uh you know you've got to agree to an extensive independent audit of the platform i mean forget apple he might have the entire european union ban his site next year
4: you don't screw with with Europe. I mean, you don't. They they have some real serious rules over there, even when it comes to workplace investigations uh, that we have to follow over here in the U.S. And I will tell you that um, he is probably, you know, they should say goodbye to, to Twitter over in Europe. I just don't see it, wow. it, it. Him being able to comply. He's just not capable. The only way that happens is if he steps aside and allows competent people to take over. And I don't see him immediately doing that. But it's the other thing is that he could treat it like a, you know, a house flip and try to flip it for and and just eat the loss. But it's just frustrating. Uh,
1: That's what Uncle Rupert did with MySpace once upon a time. So you're exactly right. Dr. Tracy Pearson, it is always a great pleasure to have you here. Um, Second time. Thank you for trusting us enough to come back into our house of lies and iniquity. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work?
4: Well, I uh, am on Instagram uh, and I am on Twitter. I'm on Mastodon. You can find me under Tracy Explains. I'm on a couple different servers. I'm on uh, Federated Press and I'm on um, another one, which is, I think, a Newsy Social. Uh, but it's Tracy Explains and you can follow me on LinkedIn uh, as well um, under Dr. Dash Tracy
1: brilliant and i love your uh substack and i am trying to understand Macedon. thank you so much for joining us again tonight doctor what a great pleasure tracy pearson we will be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748 this is progress This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to the Love Fest. That is, tell me everything. Bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble, and we are taking your calls on everything from the Tribal Nations Summit the White House held today to New York City Mayor Eric Adams' plan to solve the homeless crisis by forcibly hospitalizing the homeless against their will. We're talking about the Respect for Marriage Act, the great legacy of Christine McVie, Hakeem Jeffries and new leadership in the Democratic Party. And of course, as always, we're talking about petulant millionaires at birth, ruining things that they didn't create in the first place. 866-997-4748 is our number. Want to just play this really quick. Here's Karine Jean-Pierre earlier today in the White House press room. They asked her to address all the union workers who are feeling understandably let down by the Biden administration's pressure to keep them from striking for paid sick leave. Give a listen.
3: What is the
0: president's message to union workers, rail workers across the country who backed the president, who helped him get elected, believed that he was standing with them, and and who feel that that he has betrayed them?
3: Look, the president, as you know, has been uh, has been called by union uh, unions and and labor uh, leaders as a pro union president, um, and he takes that uh, very seriously. He is the most pro union president in history, uh, and uh, he's worked tirelessly to, to secure victories for unions and for workers since he was first elected to sent to the Senate. Uh, so this is uh, this is uh, when it comes to labor, when it comes to union, this is something that uh, he has worked towards and making sure. Uh, that he delivers for uh, for what he called yesterday, if you listen to him during uh, his michigan uh, his Michigan statement, he said uh, they were the backbone, uh, they build our middle class, right? They were the best workers uh, that we have uh, in this country. And so, uh, as a proud pro-union president, he's reluctant to override the ratifications proced- procedures of individual unions.
1: And that's why, uh, as proud pro-union supporters, we would like to see this proud pro-union president actually strong arm the rail industry that had 30 billion in profits after laying off a third of their workforce. So our railway workers can just fucking get paid sick leave during a pandemic, for God's sakes. See, here's the nice thing. Uh, I'm not a Democrat. I've never belonged to a political party. But um, what I like about them is uh, they'll criticize their own. God, they'll throw their own out of office at the drop of a hat. I always say Democrats eject them. Republicans reelect them. Yeah, uh, Democrats will criticize Joe Biden. Liberals will always criticize Joe Biden. You know why? Because it's not a cult. It's not about blind obedience to a ruler. They also asked Green Jean Pierre to chime in on the passage of the Respect for Marriage Act. And uh, to those who say it stops just short of the protection from Supreme Court that a lot of folks were originally seeking. The President, last night, had a statement praising the Senate for passage of the Respect for Marriage Act. As as you know, there are members of the LGBT community who argue that the the bill is weak sauce; It doesn't go far enough to protect the rights of same-sex married couples in the event that Obergefell does get struck down. What's the White House's message to those who are concerned that the bill doesn't go far enough? Uh,
3: Look, you saw the President's statement last night. Uh, This is a huge step forward. And uh, it is historic that we saw this movement uh, from Congress in a bipartisan way to protect same-sex marriage. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, in the time that we're in, when we're talking about the differences between Republicans and Democrats and how we're not able to get things done, we're seeing that right now in an issue, a key issue that matters to this community. Again, it's a step forward. Uh, There's still work to be done to get it across the finish line. Uh, But I do think, and we do think, it's something to celebrate.
1: Yeah. Keep the pressure on, but celebrate it at the same time. I I agree. Look, what has everyone said about Roe v. Wade? Oh, why did the Democrats codify Roe v. Wade into federal law when they had the chance? Well, because they were trying to do other things. When did they have a 60 vote threshold for what, maybe 35 days briefly in Obama's first term? They were trying to pass health care and do other things. So now now they're codifying marriage equality as a federal right. And people are still bad about it. For God's sakes, people. Keep the pressure on these Democrats all the time, but stop and smell the successes when they happen. We're at eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. Y'all been on hold for a very long time. Let's go to the phones. Jeff in LA. Thank you for your patience. Welcome.
5: Oh, um, thank you for always speaking about labor, and thank you for taking my call. As you generally do. Um, thank you and thank you. I, I no, I just it, it's so important when, when I hear your voice. It's like.
1: Gotcha. It's ama- it's amazing yeah. how how a scared it's amazing how scared the media is of talking about this rail story, isn't it? I mean, I don't think Fox is covering it at all. Uh, most of the un- most of the major networks aren't covering it for the same reason Ed Schultz got fired from MSNBC for talking about labor issues. They don't like to oh, cover I mean, it because they most most don't want their of- own people unionizing.
5: But, but what's so bizarre? I guess because most of media is unionized. Mm-hmm. I- Anyhow, I don't I think, think so. Even, no. I, I thought most of the television and so forth they're they're unionized and even news? the news? Pe-
1: pe- people who work in in like cable news you're talking?
5: Yeah, I thought I thought like they're in the broadcasters union, no?
1: Uh some are, many aren't. Oh, okay. I mean, why do you think, Um, this is what I always say, I go to all the parades in New York City and there's always a lot of media coverage and helicopters. I've never seen a news helicopter at the Labor Day parade. Why do you think the American TV media doesn't cover labor issues at all?
5: Well, well, I think that's the problem is that they don't speak up. And and I also ask actors, too. Um, I I really wonder, or the NBA or the NFL, why don't they... Come out to—I mean, if you had—I don't know uh, who—I I don't follow sports, so I, I don't really know. I just follow the union matters, okay. but uh, give me somebody important in sports. Uh, if they came out to support a strike, my God, that would be huge. Or George Clooney, who's always—they'll he'll mention labor here and there,
1: but—but
5: yeah. but, like, I mean, that would just be massive. I know. And I just think. This labor thing, I think your analysis was just as usual, head straight, right on. And I always think of Biden, and Biden did a lot of the work, the way I read it, under Obama, actually getting things done. And and I think your analysis was right on about those two issues, the rail and the and the American equality, which is that yeah. he knows he pushes he, – he's got a union mind, which is good faith. But what I was thinking about with the sick pay is there are a lot of people – who don't? Who can get fired when they're sick, right? Yes. I mean, forget even getting it off. So I don't know the terms, and that's the other thing. They always hide these things because it's way too complex to air in fifteen minutes, and the American public has very <sighs> little ability to understand anything. But, but, yes. but I, but what I want to differentiate is, I say strike. Get them out there. Get all of those celebrities, all of these people, and let them strike. Let's. See what really happens when the rails go down during the holidays. Do it if we really mm. care. We've always talked about the Democrats are always say, oh, they, how did we lose the working? I mean, Reagan, who was the president of the Supreme Actors Guild, uh, yeah. how did we lose the working class? This is how. Yes. And I'm not blaming Biden, but I'm saying let him strike.
1: Well but but again, this is, well but, but Biden's right, in a tough spot. Here's the deal. Like I, I, I also appreciate the position Joe Biden's in. You don't wanna have a nationwide railway strike when the weather's cold and the holidays are coming up and we're already dealing with a troubled economy and inflation. I mean, you, you wanna stop letting fuel be shipped around the country and food supplies. I mean, our economy would suffer and working people, the people who would suffer, not the rich, it would be working people who would suffer the most on this. So I empathize with the position Biden's in, but take a step back from all of this. You know, if Joe Biden doesn't give the rail workers what they want, if he pushes this agreement through, Well, it's going to hurt him some with his base. They'll still vote for him because if a Republican president did the same thing, there wouldn't even be negotiations. There wouldn't even be consideration given to the unions. And no one in a Republican base would care at all if a Republican president told a bunch of unions to twist in the wind, because we've seen it happen our whole life. They don't care about working Americans. So, you know, at the end of the day, the Democratic Party it's the only ride unions have, like the Republican Party is the only ride anti-abortionists have. So I, I I still live in hope that they're going to work this out because paid sick leave is not asking too much.
5: I, yeah, but what I, what, I, what I just get at is it, it will hurt them. Um, but who's hurting? They're going on strike. I mean, yeah. mean, going on strike is like close to is close to going to war. I mean, you're giving up your ability to earn money. You might not get yeah. rehired.
1: It's desperation.
5: I don't know the Railway Labor Act as well, but but my point is, and in England, by the way, I was like crying reading the notes I read. England is about to go on a nationwide strike, and, and the Labor Party there is trying to do a clampdown on it. I, I know. mean, there's something called the Norris LaGuardia Act. This would not happen under the NLRA. This is happening under the RLA. So that's why I say, let it lie. I mean, even if it hurts it's gonna hurt me i'm not well it's, gonna, it's really but i say we all have to show solidarity and this could be a moment this could be a mm. moment and yeah you know, I, i'd like, like to see I, it I'd, I'd like biden. to see it happen I, I don't blame Biden. i think your point is exactly right about biden which is that you know it, it is sort of i mean if i was had anything to do with negotiations i would say look you know a lot of americans don't even have the right to but that's because they have not informed unions and it is so hard But I would I mean, I I died almost I died almost twice with the heart attack and I would do it again because I believe in labor so
1: much. Don't give yourself a heart attack. We need you. But but again, the position (laughs) Joe Biden's in is what what can he do that's going to hurt the least amount of people? And so if I help the railway workers, it could hurt thousands. That's the position he's in. And at the end of the day, there's one thing we can be sure of. Joe Biden and his party are the ones who care. The Republican Party does not. It's messy out there. Jeff, thank you for the call. This is progress.